Amen. You can be seated. But kids, before you leave, one second. Kids, don't leave yet. We're going to do something different. Okay? So as we are starting, as you heard Anthony say, we're starting the, the story of God. Um, today, which is going to be our discipleship journey through all of Scripture to lay a foundation in our lives and to equip us to walk with others on that same journey. But what we're doing is our children are doing the same passage that we're doing on Sunday mornings. So the kids are going to be hearing the exact same passage as we're doing because we want to help families be able to disciple their children at home. And so that's a value. But this gives us an opportunity together, before the kids are released, we're going to have God's Word read, and we're going to have a different person reading each week. So this morning, your teacher, my son-in-law, Emmanuel, is going to be reading for us from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. Hi, good morning, everyone. Uh, if If you guys don't mind just opening your Bibles, and we'll get into it. Um. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was a morning, one day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came, and then morning, the second day. Then God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into one plate, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day, and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters swarm with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water, according to their kinds. And he also created every winged creature according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
So God bless them. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and then morning, the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Emmanuel. So children, now you can be released for Children's Church. You can follow Emmanuel is going to be uh, one of your teachers. And so, uh, so thankful um, and excited to be able to read God's Word together on Sunday. So if you will, turn with me, and hopefully you're already there, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And as we begin this journey, I, I came across a quote this week from William Ralph Inge that said this, Every man has two journeys to make through life. There is the outer journey with its various incidents and milestones, and there is the inner journey, a spiritual odyssey with its secret history all its own. As we take this first step together in this journey, I'm aware that a journey of any length, be it a thousand miles or from your bedroom to the kitchen, it always begins with that first step. And Genesis 1-1 is that first step in our journey. But before we dive in, I want to encourage you to close your eyes for a moment. Okay? Let your eyes adjust to the darkness. As if there's only darkness around you. There's nothing, no substance beneath you of the bench holding your body up, no floor beneath your feet. <laughs> you can stretch out your hand, but unable to see it. Imagine that sensation of falling. When, when your stomach goes up into your throat, that turn of the first roller coaster, and you just feel that sense of falling, but there's no bottom. There's there's no turn. Your arms reach out, flail, trying to grab hold of something, but, but there's nothing to grab hold of. You can open your eyes. I want you to hold on to that feeling, and, and there's a reason why as we enter these passages, and I believe that there's times in our life when, not even just metaphorically, but we feel that reality. We feel that sense of lostness. We feel that sense when your stomach drops and the phone rings or you get the news or life hasn't turned out the way you, you, you thought it would or you haven't become the person you thought you would be. And you look in the mirror and all you see is an emptiness and a void and chaos. Today, as we start this first step, I want to encourage us to see this, and you'll see this statement up on the screen. This is kind of that central thought, if you will, of today's message. That we will see today the character of God expressed in creation. And that this character of God is the same character of God that is experienced in our salvation. 
that the character of God that we're going to see expressed here in Genesis 1 is the same exact attributes that we experience personally in our salvation. That's the heart of what I want us to see. But but let's begin at the beginning. Look at these first four words. Like let them resonate in our hearts in the beginning God. Like this is the central theme of Genesis 1. If you want to know what Genesis 1 is about, it is about God. 35 times God's name is spoken. He is the central thought here. And in the beginning, God was there in the beginning, as if when time itself began, God was there. Having always existed in in eternity past and in eternity future, there is God. In the beginning, when time began, God already was. In the beginning, God. Psalm 92 says, before the mountains were formed, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. This is what is supposed to just like a spotlight in our mind, in the midst of that falling, in the midst of that darkness, the spotlight shines on God. In the beginning, God. He declares of himself in Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Using the, the alphabet, he is the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. The one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. The Almighty. Like before we continue, before we get caught up in any other details in Genesis 1, the point is to say, in the beginning, God. That he is the the central point. And what we will see then is the character of God that is expressed in his creation. That's kind of the first of those two central themes. Because what we see is chaos. That God created the heavens and the earth. And it says, now the earth was formless and empty. These two words, form, in the Hebrew, they're individual, but paired together, it means that sense of chaos. There was nothing, that sense of falling, there's no substance, there was nothing here. It is absolute chaos. Try to imagine that the reality of this moment. That there's nothing, nothing of form, nothing of substance. It's not filled with anything. There's no matter. There is absolutely nothing. But then it says darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. Like water appears in the midst of what was formless and void. Imagine if you were there in that moment. You can't see anything. Everything is empty and without substance. And all of a sudden you you feel the moisture of water. You sense the presence of the spirit of God that it says is hovering over the waters, right? And, And what this is meant to do in our minds is it creates this anticipation. Something's about to happen. What has been formless and void, there's now these watery depths. The spirit of God is present and hovering. What's about to happen? Something's about to change. The chaos. The, the emptiness, something is about to radically change. And there's this anticipation, what will it be? And then God said, 
God's on the move. Like God in creation. One thing to to see here is in this formless and empty. It's this Latin phrase, uh, creatio ex nihilo. It means creation out of nothing. And it's an important thing to, to consider. One quote I read this week says, The effect of the opening words of the Bible is to establish God. God in his inscrutable wisdom, in his sovereign power and majesty, that God is the creator of all things that exist. And here's the distinction. God is a creator, not just a craftsman. You hear that? God is the creator, not just the craftsman. See, I love watching these videos of, uh, of luthiers who, who make guitars and they take like these exotic fine woods and, and they can form these instruments that, that are beautiful, that, that resonate in different tones of music and, and they use such skill to craft these instruments. They are craftsmen, but God is different than how you and I are craftsmen. Because we take lumber and we take trees and turn it into lumber and we make tools and, and, and forge them into ways that can be used to, to make and to craft. But God, there was nothing. There was no tree with which to form with. There was nothing. And then God said, let there be, and it was so. This is a distinction between us and God that he is the creator. It's a, it's a word, that word create, in the beginning, God created. There's so many things I feel like I'm not going to be able to talk about today because there's not enough time, but that word create only applies to God. It's never used for anyone else. It's a unique Hebrew word that only applies to God because the way in which God creates is different than the way you and I craft. He took nothing and created something. And he did this, he did this by the power of his spoken word. Like, consider this for a moment. There was nothing here, but God displayed his power through his spoken word. God said, let there be light. What does the next phrase say? And there was light. Right? Like I can say, let there be an elephant. There's no elephant, right? I can say whatever I want to say. I can't make it happen. God said, let there be light, and there was light. This may seem like a minor point, but you know, six times in this passage, it says, and God said, and it was so. Don't miss this when it says, and it was so. God said it, and it was so. A point is being made here about who God is that is meant to be staggering to our perception and understanding that there is one true God who creates and who is not like us. And it was so. But I, I'm building to something here. I want you to see that there's a, there's a logic that, that I'm trying to form in our minds that, that I want you to track with. In the beginning, there was chaos. There was nothing. It was formless. It was void. But God was there in the beginning. 
before time itself, and that there is the power of God being displayed through his spoken word. So we have God, we have nothing else, and we have the power of God being displayed through his spoken word. That's an important part we're going to come back to. And then watch what happens. I want us to see what was formless and what was empty and what we see unfold in the days of creation. Because you're going to see these two categories. You're going to see day one, two, and three on the left and day four, five, and six on the right. That what was formless, God is going to form. What was empty, God is going to fill. So on the left-hand side, in days one, two, and three, what we see is God forming the universe and the earth out of what was formless, what had nothing. And he's doing this by separating those elements that he's created. He's separating light from dark. He's separating the waters from the sky to the seas. He's separating the waters from the, the dry land. He is forming what was formless on days one, two, and three. And then on days four, five, and six, he's filling what was empty. So then we see like he's filling the heavens with the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, what has been formed. He is now filling what was empty. On day five, he's filling the seas with with fish and with sky and with birds. He's filling what was said to be empty. And then on day six, filled the earth with living creatures, animals, and mankind, which we'll be focusing on next week. What I want you to see is in creation, what we see here within the narrative is this structure that's intended to give us a sense of of a balance of home, a place that he's created for for you and I to to live and to, to flourish. There's also this correlation between day one and day four. So if you look at that same chart and you look from left to right, the expanse of God said, let there be light. There was no light from the sun because he hadn't yet created the sun. The sun was created, it says, on day four. So he's declared light out of darkness. That light was his glory shining in all creation. Then he created the sun and the moon to rule over the day and night. Day two, he separated the waters from the sky and the seas. On day five, that correlation, he filled the sky with birds and he filled the sea with fish. Then he separated on day three the land and the sea. And on day six, then he fills the land with every living creature and with mankind. There's this correlation that we see throughout the text that that is meant to show us what was that first statement when it says, now the earth was formless and empty. That's how it was. But then God spoke. And that's not how it is. Do you feel it? That sense, if you were to, when, when your eyes were closed and that sense of, of darkness, that sense of falling, that sense of reaching out, what was felt like chaos. And then you say, and then God spoke. In reality, 
time as we understood it changed for all eternity because of God's word. Why does all of this matter? Like, why is it important? Why did God choose to start here with these words? These words were written by Moses 3,500 years ago, roughly. Think of that for a moment. 3,500 years ago is when these words were written by a man named Moses, who, if you remember, is who God used to free the, the Jews from slavery in Egypt when he stood in front of the Pharaoh and said, let my people go and was declaring God's word, and the ten plagues came, and then they were out into the the Sinai Peninsula, and and they wandered there for 40 years. And that's where Moses met with God on the mountain, received the Ten Commandments, and received these words from the only person who was there, because nobody else had been created yet. God alone was there, and God is communicating to Moses, let me tell you what happened when I formed the foundations of the world. And this would have been completely countercultural to the original hearers. When they heard this, this would have blown their minds because everything around them in Egypt, where they had just been, had this plurality of gods. Every other culture had gods for everything, in everything. And what we see in creation is that the creation history is intentionally attacking the pantheon of gods. It says, each day of creation, this was uh, from Kent Hughes in one of his commentaries on Genesis, says, each day of creation attacks one of the gods of the pagan pantheon of the day and declares that they are no gods at all. Is there a god of light and a god of darkness? No. Is there a God of the, the earth? Is there a God for, for vegetation? Is there a God for harvest? Is, is there a God for, for the birds? Is there a, a God for the sky? Is there a, a God of thunder and a God of sea like Greek mythology? No. All of those are dismissed because they were all created by one true God who was in the beginning God. Gods of trees and gods of animals, gods of rocks, even mankind perceiving themselves to be God. This narrative is challenging that there is no other God but God himself. There is one God and everything else is beneath him because everything else has been created by him. He is the creator of things that we can see and things we cannot see. This challenges not only the original hearers, but it challenges us today, does it not? It challenges how we perceive. There's a historical aspect. Let me say this first. Genesis 1 is written as a Hebrew narrative. It has poetic elements in it, but it is not poetry. It's not just this loose story. It is written in a style that is meant to be understood as a factual, accurate history. That's the the style of literature. So when you come about and you, you come to study the scripture, it's like, 
you have to look at the style of literature that it is so that you appropriately understand it. This was intended to be and is a historical narrative. One commentary, again by Kent Hughes, you can tell I liked his commentary. In his commentary on Generous, he, he says, in the beginning, this phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This would not have been lost on the children of the Exodus. The night skies of Sinai, the, the diaphanous veil of the Milky Way, the, the paths of the comets, the intermittent meteor showers sang, sang to them, an omnipotent creator who cared for his people. This quote particularly struck me because I've had the, the privilege and I have the, the memory of being in the Sinai Peninsula. And I remember one early morning when we got up but well before the sun rose to climb what is historically understood to be Mount Sinai. We want it to be at the top when the sun rose over the mountains. I remember that night sky. When I read these words, I remember at one point laying on my back, mesmerized and looking up at the night sky as if I had never seen it before. The, the, the amount of stars, the meteors, shooting stars, whatever you call them, streaking across the sky, I thought that was rare until I could see. And it was like I was seeing the night sky for the first time. And so when I read this, I'm like, I remember that sky. I remember those stars. I remember how awestruck I was, who, who has more understanding than they probably had uh, of the universe at the time. And I was still in complete awe. Moses is presenting a creation story of what actually happened, as told to him by the only person who was there. And the reality is, is this is countercultural for us as well, isn't it? Because in the last 150 years, we've received a different creation story. It's only been a, a 150 years, but we now have a story that is absent of God. A story that is somehow undirected natural processes made all of this that we see around us. And then we come to Genesis 1. And even though science itself cannot repeat their theory of how the world began, it's treated as fact. But this passage challenges us. Is creation a random accident or has it been created by an intelligent, loving, purposeful creator? That's what this passage is, brings to the front of our mind and understanding. Now, there is something here I, I want to address because whenever you get into Genesis 1 and this, it's like, well, is how old is the earth? There's some differences and there's some critical truths that I just want to kind of address this morning. That there are different understandings of these verses among people who hold to the Bible being accurate, God's word, historical, accurate narrative. And particularly, it comes into how people understand uh, what a day means when it says, and there was the first day. Even when it says morning and evening in there, is this a 24-hour period of time? Does this mean the earth was created in six days over 144 hours? Or 
Does this, could a day be longer? Was there a space of time between verses two and three? And, and there's all sorts of different ways that, that scholars have tried to understand this because they're like, look at Second Peter 3, 8. Doesn't it say that a day is like a thousand years to, to God? And could it be that a day was like a thousand years or longer? And so you have opinions on different sides who hold to the scripture being accurate, being faithful to the Bible as God's word without error. And then they'll use other people's names to say, see, this person agrees with me. And this person that you trust means I'm right. And so they'll say, well, like John Calvin and William Henry Thornwell, they hold to a six-day creation. So that means I'm right. Then you'll have others who say, well, Puritan William Ames, B.B. Warfield, and others hold to more of a day-age theory. Both sides want to claim early church father Augustine of Hippo as their own, and I don't know how they do that, but they both. Why does this matter? Why even address it? I want to say that to hold to the faithfulness of Scripture does not require one view or the other, in my opinion. Personally, I hold to a young earth theory. And here's why I mean that. Why I think it doesn't matter. If you hold to the faithfulness of Scripture, there are certain things that I'm going to hit that I do believe are critical that we believe together. Throughout the centuries, Christians who hold to the supremacy the, that God's word is our authority, come to different conclusions. Personally, I hold to a young earth theory, which means a day means a day. The reason why I believe that, even hearing Emmanuel say it, it even specifies on day one, there was morning and there was evening. When I lived in Israel, I had the chance to talk to a guy who I found out was a Hebrew scholar. Now, I happened to be studying Genesis 1 at the time, and so my first question was, what does a day mean, (laughs) right? Like, does a day mean a day? Doesn't it mean a day? Can it mean a longer length of time? What does it mean from a Hebrew understanding? Because I'm not, like, just tell me what it means. I want to understand God's word and what it means. And he was like, it means a 24-hour period. It doesn't mean, and it's even given the confines of morning and evening. And so for me, I believe that the text is saying that a day is a day, but I believe that God created the earth with apparent age. Here's what I mean by that. How old was Adam and Eve the day, the moment they were created? How old was Adam? He wasn't a newborn, right? He could could walk with God. He could reason and see the animals and give them names, right? He could get married. When God created Eve, he could have children. He was created with age because maturity brings stability. So in the Garden of Eden, the day after the trees were created, if you were to cut one of the trees down, how many rings were inside that tree? And then would you have said that the tree is how old? I believe God created with apparent age, and this is why when you're like, well, what about carbon dating? What about these other things? Well, we're talking about the God who existed before time began, who by the mere power of his words spoke into existence everything we see. It's not really out of my realm of faith to say that he created it with age. That's where I land. 
There's people who are faithful to scripture, who again, believe that this is God's word. They're not trying to manipulate it, who come to different conclusions. There's room for that within the Christian faith, but that's where I hold. Why do I say all of this? I believe that this is an important part to address because if we're walking with others, like my goal is that you will one day sit across from someone who is not yet a believer and you will have read Genesis 1 together, you're sitting across a table and you're wanting to answer questions. You're wanting to say, what has God shown you? And I don't want to get sidetracked by secondary issues. Well, how long is a day? Do I, like, how do we explain what we understand of the the age of the earth? Like, there are things that will distract from what the main point is, Or there are things that we could inadvertently place as a stumbling block in front of people that is not the main point of the text. And so I want to be very clear. What are the clear truths of Genesis 1? Where is it challenging us to, in a countercultural way, believe? And one, that there is one God who is eternal and over everything. That is like a critical takeaway that all Christians hold and believe, that God is the creator, not just the craftsman. God didn't just initiate and then step back and let evolution take over. God is the creator who, with intentionality and purpose, created everything. That Genesis is a factual, historical narrative. That this is explaining to us from God, what happened when our world was created? And it tells us about him. And that what we're going to get to next week, which I would say is also equally as important, is that Adam and Eve are historical real people. Some will say, oh, that's just kind of an illusion of mankind or this and that. And it's like, no, Adam and Eve were real historical people. And I'll get into theologically why that's important later, but that is an important takeaway from Genesis. Those are the critical truths. Now, I say all of that. I realize that as we read through the scripture, there's only so much that I have time to touch on in a sermon, that there will and should be questions. And so I've created this email address that's questions at xpoint.com. And you can say, hey, I have a question. Maybe it's from the sermon. Maybe it's from what the reading is next week. Maybe it's something that you see happening on the news. To write that in, how does the gospel speak to this? What does this mean? I have these creative ideas that I would love to speak to these questions in ways outside of just Sunday morning. But I don't want to do something if it's not actually a real felt need. I like questions and I think questions are good and it shows that we're interested in learning. Like I'm sitting down at lunch today, if you remember, like with the elementary students who had a bunch of questions. One of their questions was, if God wasn't born, how did he create the world? You see what they're trying to wrestle with? You know, in addition to where's heaven, why do angels have wings, how many types of angels are there? Like there's all sorts of great questions that they had for me that we're going to be talking through today. But questions, I want that to be an open door. Ask them. 
What does this mean? Why this? Why that? So I want to make a connection here. This is the part that I found extremely exciting and I kind of geeked out this week because I think I understood it in part, but nowhere near what I want to share with you this morning. So do you remember what I said we were going to like the thesis of this morning was going to be? The character of God expressed in creation is the same character of God experienced in our salvation. What I want you to see is that Genesis 1 is also a foreshadowing of your salvation story. Okay, now track with me for a moment. Formless and void. We feel the brokenness, don't we? Like all of this was declared good and we realize it's not so good right now. And it's not just like outside where we sense that chaos. It's also inside. We look in the mirror and who I am, who I've become. Is it what I thought? Is it what I expected? We see our failures, our imperfections. But there's something that stirs in us, just as remember when the Spirit of God was hovering above the waters and it creates this sense of anticipation. Something's about to happen. Something's about to change. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has put eternity in our hearts. God has placed within us, some have described it as this God-shaped hole. There's this longing for a better home, a better place, a, a better life, something that is different from the brokenness we hold to now. But what happens is, is as we get older, we try to fill that space with, with work and with love and with pleasure and with belongings. And we think that if we can fill it with enough stuff, then we'll be happy. But all it does is it, it exposes the deep vastness of that longing that only eternity, only God himself can fill. And then this is where we begin to see intentional New Testament language that the authors are directly pulling from Genesis 1 to help us under, our, understand our story of salvation. The spoken word of God changed everything. Remember there was darkness and then God said, let there be light. And there was light. It was through the spoken word of God that God created everything. That was one of the points I hit. And then there's another book of the Bible that begins with the exact same words of Genesis 1. The exact same words in the beginning. And it's meant to be like this flashing light in your brain. Remember Genesis 1? Remember that? In the beginning, God? And it says, in the beginning was the Word in the Gospel of John. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him and apart from Him. Not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not 
overcome it. And if there's any question as to who this word was, if there's any question whose voice uttered the words, let there be light and there was light. It says, and the word became flesh in John 1.14. And that word dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one as the one and only son of the father, full of grace and truth. What I want us to see is in Genesis 1, when God said, let there be light, those words were uttered by Christ himself. Christ is eternal. Before he took on humanity in the manger, he was. He was with God. He is God. He is the word that was spoken. It was through Christ that all things were created. This is what it says in Colossians 1. For everything was created by Jesus in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Christ is here in Genesis 1. He is the word that was spoken. Now here's where it gets even more incredible. When God said, let there be light, this phrase that sometimes we we think about, let there be light, but we see this same language, the same imagery used of how we came to understand the gospel. The apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, but look, our gospel, if our gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, if that's veiled, and even that connection in words, which I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail is like mind-blowing when you get into the Hebrew stuff, but if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the lower G, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So you have people now who are in darkness, right? They're they're in that formless and void, that there is an emptiness, there is a longing, there is this striving, there is this lostness that is present because their eyes, their minds are blinded from seeing the light of the gospel. And then it says, for it was God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Do you hear it? Echoes from Genesis 1, echoes from the foundation of the world now being spoken, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see the language that's intentionally being used that that same light that was spoken at the foundation of the world when it was formless and empty and God said, let there be light and there was light is the same word through Jesus Christ that has broken through our darkened minds and hearts to shine the light of God in faith upon our hearts to see the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what he has done. It has not only created the world, it has transformed me, my life, because his word was spoken into my heart. 
I have experienced the reality of Genesis 1. And, and here's the amazing thing. So keep following this, right? So what did God do? He, he began in those first three days to form what was without form, right? He began, began to separate light from darkness, began to separate the waters from each other and skies and sea. And then what does it say that God has done to your sin at the moment of salvation? Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Do you see what God has done informing you into what we're going to see later? He calls a new creation. He has separated your sin from your identity. They are as far as the east is from the west. The God who had the power to separate the waters, the God who had the power to separate light from darkness, the God who had the power to separate the waters from the dry land has the power through the word which is Christ to separate our sins from us. And then what was empty, he fills. Just as God filled the heavens and the earth, Romans 15 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy. May he fill you with peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you have then been filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? And then, just in case there's any doubt, just in case you think I'm going too far, I'm being too liberal with the scripture here. Then, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. The New Testament is rich with language that describes your experience of salvation with the character of God expressed in creation itself. This is the reality if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus. This is the reality. And I pray, I pray that that you feel encouraged this morning, that it fortifies your faith, that the God who is powerful enough to create everything out of nothing is also powerful enough to remove your sins by the death of his son, Jesus Christ, the living word. God, who took on humanity to be broken, to die on the cross for our sins so that we might be created into a new creation by the power of his word. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for for the beauty of your word that that you would give us the truth of how everything we see and even the things we, we don't see were, were created and made. Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts this morning to see that these aren't just words of past history, but Lord, these are words that live and breathe through our lives today your story being told through our transformed lives, that your power to create is revealed through your 
power to transform. Lord, I pray that where our minds may not understand or comprehend all the realities of how all of this worked, Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith necessary to trust your word. And Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in us. Your creation, new creations, displaying your glory. And Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 